If you could um, find John chapter 6, starting at verse 35, and once you find that, if you would stand, please. And I just want to pray briefly over the word first. Lord Jesus, we've heard and read these words so many times, but I pray that you would come in power and make them new and fresh. Give us hearts that are fresh and ears that, that long to hear new words of truth from you this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because they said, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all taught, be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Amen. Thank you, Sue. You can be seated. Father, now as Sue has prayed and we read your word, we ask, as the prophet Isaiah said, that when your word goes forth, it will accomplish the purpose it was intended to accomplish. It will not return unto you void. And we trust that the seed of your word, when planted in a heart, will produce fruit. We know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we need your word to sustain us, to direct us. You said from the words of the psalm, how shall a young man cleanse his ways? 
by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, your implanted word in our hearts makes us the men and women we long to be and you've made us to be. And so I ask now that as we contemplate and pray over and think through the words of Jesus, that your word would have its way, that what was intended to go forth would go forth. And God, we thank you for the time to do so, and we pray it would be blessed now. In the name of Jesus, we said together, amen, amen, amen. So good to be here with you this morning. In the words of Jesus in our Gospel of John series, uh, we find ourselves in John chapter 6, as we read this morning. We have been on this journey through John's Gospel and uh, looking line by line through the words of Jesus Christ. Um, I've heard it said before that humor can be dissected like a frog, but it, like a frog, it dies when you try to dissect it. Um, and I think the same is true with theology. There are some powerful truths in Scripture that theologians and scholars like to debate and talk about, but there are times when you can take a powerful truth and so dissect it, manhandle it, pull it apart, that the truth of it dies while you pull it apart and don't just simply glory in it. And I'm just going to be honest with you, this week as I was preparing for this John 6 message, uh, I was tempted to overly dissect John chapter 6 because it's packed, for those of you who've studied theology, with all kinds of things that someone like myself could sort of get rabbit trailed on. Like things like God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility in the way that we come to salvation. Or pervenient grace, for those of you who know that term, versus irresistible grace. Um, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Perseverance of the saints versus can we fall from grace. Now, this is all stuff I really like to talk about. I mean, Sean Larson and I were talking about this uh, on the men's retreat. And, and yet, I feel like the Lord has reminded me this week of something that Charles Spurgeon once said. As he was specifically talking about people who spend all their time defending the gospel rather than preaching the gospel. And this is what Charles Spurgeon said about that. He, he said, it's sort of like trying to defend a caged lion. And this is what he said. I would suggest that they, who are constantly defending rather than proclaiming, I would suggest that they kindly stand back and just open the door and let the lion out and he will take care of himself. <laughs> and so this morning, I felt the Lord tell me, just unleash the truth of my word. Don't bore people with your theological rabbit trails. Not that those things aren't important, but there is a more deep truth from John chapter 6 than me over-dissecting, defending, and over-explaining something. Uh, and you're saying, praise God, hallelujah, and thank you. Um, uh, but I want you to hear the Lord's word this morning, specifically what I believe the Lord is saying through this passage, which could simply be put, you are chosen and secure in Jesus. Let's let that settle in for a moment. You have been chosen and you are secure in Jesus. Or put another way, God picked you and you're safe with him. How many say that's good? That's right there. God picked you and you're safe with him. You're secure and chosen in Jesus. And that's some truth that we can unleash into our lives this morning. Amen. 
John 6 is perhaps, as I would view it, one of the most important explanations from the mouth of Jesus about the subject of personal salvation. Um, This conversation was triggered, though, by something that happens in verses 35 and 36. So look back at your text in John chapter 6. Um, Jesus has declared himself to be the bread of life. We talked about that on Mother's Day. Um, And he said that any who would take of me would never be hungry, and those who drink of me would never be thirsty. But then the mystery comes in that not everyone in that crowd believed in Jesus. So Jesus makes this declaration about himself very aware as he's saying those words that not everyone believes what he is saying. And so verse 36, listen to what Jesus says. Look down. Jesus said, you have seen me and still do not believe. Have you ever felt perplexed for those of you who follow Jesus? Befuddled? (laughs) Dumbfounded? Thank you, Sean Larson. Um, uh, Over the idea that there are people that just don't believe in Jesus? It's almost like you think, how is that even possible? How is it that the God that I so trust, you don't believe in? As he stands there and proclaims, I'm the bread of life, eat of me, you'll never be hungry. Drink of me, you'll never be thirsty. And the perplexing next statement is, but there are many here that do not believe in me. And it's in that that Jesus begins to have this dialogue. Verse 37, look down. All those the Father gives me will come to me And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. This is how Jesus handles the perplexing idea that he can proclaim his truth about himself to a crowd of people. And in that crowd, some will say, yes, Jesus, I want you. I I, I receive you. And others, he will say, there's some of you here. You don't believe and you will not come to me. And Jesus' answer to that, again, verse 37 is, the Father has given me those who come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'm not going to drive away. I like how Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the message, uh, words this. Uh, listen to this. Every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. I like that. And once that person is with me, I hold on and don't let go. That's good right there. Every person God gives me eventually comes running, and when they come, I hold on and I never let go. And this is the powerful truth that we hold on to this. And, and for me, I can't say this for everybody, but I know this. I came to Jesus because the Father has given me to Jesus. And I am secure in Jesus Christ. Now, it's not permission to do whatever I want, but someone who's really been taken by Jesus doesn't want to do whatever they want. They want to do what Jesus wants. See, there's this thing called regeneration that happens when you come to Jesus, and it basically means he takes out all the insides and puts new ones in. He takes out a stony heart, Ezekiel 36, and puts in a heart of flesh. God basically gives you a total rewiring. And so that's what happens. God gave me to Jesus. He gave you who follow him, he gave you to Jesus, and then Jesus says, once you're in, I don't ever let go of you. What a comfort that is. Now, for some of you, what's starting to happen right now, even with these concepts, is uh, the whatabouts are starting to come. The, the what about people that don't believe on Jesus, is that their fault for not believing or God's for not choosing them? And whose fault is this? And here's, what I, here's my answer to that. I have no idea. I can't answer that. Do you know that theologians, guys, 
way, way smarter than most of us in this room collectively, all of our brain power put together, theologians, right? I am not a theologian. I'm just a guy, right, who's trying to do my best. But the theologians, they've been arguing about this for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they haven't come to a conclusion. Here's what I know. God is going to be way more fair and just than I could ever be. So if, if it's a question of justice, of God choosing some and not choosing others, or is how can you be punished for something that you had no control over? I'm just saying, I don't know. God will be fair and just, and I just trust his fairness and justice. That at the end of the day, he hasn't asked me to involve myself in those kinds of decisions. He just said, just trust me. I'm nicer, kinder, more just and fair and wiser than you are. So when the whatabouts start, um, the, the other whatabout that I think sometimes that we can get involved in, in this idea of are we eternally secure or can we lose our salvation is what about people who seem to believe that, that Jesus is real and they, they follow him for a while, but then they turn back and walk away. Did they lose Jesus or did Jesus lose them? And I, I couldn't answer that with certainty either. But what I know is this, at the end of the day, in Revelation chapter 20, when the books are opened, all things will be made known. And, and the only person I've been called to actually judge is myself. And I can't even do that correctly sometimes. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in, in you to will and to do after his good pleasure. But the only person's salvation that you're supposed to be wrestling with is your own. You don't wrestle with other people's salvation. I am so glad that God said, Ryan, do not get involved in this. I, I'm done. You're not a judge. You're not part of the Trinity. You don't have to make these determinations. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You recognize God's work in you. And then you leave the judging to God. My pastor used to say, Brian, let me relieve you as a leader in a church. You love them, let God judge them. Don't get that reversed. I am not the judge of, of humanity. There is one judge, one lawgiver, and one who will make it right at the end of the day. So we need to stop trying to judge each other. And let me just say this, stop trying to judge God and just let yourself be loved by him. Try, quit trying to figure God out. Uh, I mean, let me know if you ever do that um, because we'll call you a heretic and uh, we might have to get the elders around you to talk it out. Um, but here's what I know, and I can speak from uh, personal experience, and that is just this. I come back to this. I came to Jesus because the Father gave me to Jesus and I am secure in him. That's what I know. And so what does that mean for everyone else? I, I can't say. I'd be stepping way over bounds to say that. But, but here's what we need to do this morning. That is to simply say, well, what then this morning from John chapter 6 are we supposed to specifically rejoice in? What does it mean uh, for us to read John chapter 6 in the words of Jesus? What are some of the implications? Uh, so here are a few things um, as we enjoy being chosen and secure in Jesus that Jesus tells us about the benefits of belonging to him. So three things primarily uh, that we can rejoice in about the benefits of belonging to Jesus. Number one, uh, we were God's choice. So I use this analogy all the time. Um, I've been married for almost 20 years. Thank you. Um, and uh, my wife, Shannon, and I, we married very young. She was 19, I was 20. 
So we kind of, she kind of raised me, you know. So um, if you think I'm wacky, you can be like, Shannon, you weren't a very good parent. <laughs> um, but if Shannon and I were in some remote part of Oregon, which we kind of were, um, and I was the only male in Southern Oregon, and she's like, you know, Brian, I guess I'm female and you're the only choice, so I choose you. I wouldn't be very flattered by that, right? I'd be like, well, okay, like, did you really or did you kind of had to, right? I mean, how was your only choice? But if she looks at all these handsome studs in Southern Oregon, I mean, big, buff, handsome dudes, and says, nah, 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 you, yeah. You know what I'm like? Yeah, baby, you chose me. <laughs> Tan skin, green eyes, dark hair. You like me, the half Mexi, right? She chose me. Being chosen is a blessing. And when someone ends up with you by default, that, that doesn't do anything for you. But, but the truth of the matter is, is there is a blessing in knowing that God chose you. Like God didn't get stuck with you. He said, I want you. I've, I've chosen to set my love upon you specifically and particularly. I love you. Notice Jesus says in verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 44 no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So there's this choosing of Father that, that, that rather than get tangled in the theology of, well, what about those who weren't chosen and was I chosen and blah, blah, blah. Like, stop. Just rejoice in the beauty of it. God chose you. Don't be proud about it, but rejoice in the Lord because you've been chosen by God. Amen? That's good. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm, this, this is Jesus. And then, secondly, the benefits of belonging to Jesus is in him we are secure. How many are just glad that, that, that the security of our standing with God is in Jesus' hands and not yours? That you're not constantly living in this thread of, if I do the wrong thing or don't tell the right line, he may say, oh, I'm taking salvation away from you. You lost it. You had it, and then you act like a fool, and you lost it. But, but what Jesus is saying is, once I claim you, you belong to me. Ephesians 1 says that he put his seal of the Holy Spirit on us. The Bible says that he give us a new heart. There's something permanent that happens when God says, you belong to me. It'd be like, you know, my wife and I, we have four kids. Um, it'd be like if we have one of them, and then throughout their life, we constantly give them up for adoption and then reclaim them based on their behavior. No, like once, once that kid gets born into my family, it's like they're ours forever. They will belong here. And that same thing, once you are born again, Jesus says, you're my kid. You may act like an idiot. You may sneak off and do stupid things. You may try to, you may try, but I'm your father and I will catch you and I will pursue you and I will deal with this stuff. So, so listen to what Jesus says again on this idea that not only did, were we God's choice, which that alone is humbling, that God chose me, but, but then in him I'm secure. Verse 37 again, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Like you're safe with Jesus. Verse 39, I shall lose none of those he has given me. You know salvation depends way more on God than it does on you. He's like, if, if Father gave me you, then I'm not gonna lose you. It's not gonna be like Jesus gets into heaven. It's like, we had four and one of them is, where did... That's me. I lose my kids, right? When they were little and mom went, for the, mom went away for the weekend, it was like, who knows what's going to happen, right? Um, I'm having a good time and I don't know where the kids are. Um, so, uh, but, but to know that simply we are God's choice, in him we are secure. And then finally, now this one is huge. In him we shall beat death. 
Come on. Give me something. Just say something. Oh, let me say it again. Maybe you didn't hear what I said. In him we shall beat death. There we go. Now we're having some church. Now you know what to do. Listen to Jesus, verse 39. I will lose none of them, but raise them up, verse 39, at the last day. Not only is he not going to lose you, death can't defeat you. Verse 40, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Verse 44, I will raise them up at the last day. Verse 47, the one who believes has eternal life. And sometimes you need to come back to what you know and preach it to yourself. Out of curiosity, is there anyone in here who feels called to preach? Nobody? Or you just don't want to raise your hand and be counted for? <laughs> right back here, we got a preacher. You need to move here and help me, all right? Retire, because I know you're doing well in Oregon. Come back here, help me, my assistant preacher. Um, uh, but... Uh, a lot of you didn't raise your hand um, that you didn't want to be preachers. Um, but here's what, here's what I, I would say to you. You are called to preach to yourself, at least. You need to learn how to preach the gospel to yourself. You go, well, I don't have a content for my sermon. Let me give it to you. Three points. Like every good sermon has to have three points, right? Three points in a poem, then we go home. That's how they do it. Um, that's what they teach you in seminary. Um, but, but your three points are this. You are God's choice. You're secure in him. And because of Jesus, you beat death. You got to preach that to yourself. That's John 6. Sometimes you just have to go back to what you know. When life is wonky and topsy-turvy and you don't know how to make sense of it, you're feeling condemned, you're feeling insecure, and just simply say to yourself, here's what I know. God has set his love on me and he chose me. I'm a gift that God gave to Jesus. And Jesus is going to keep me secure until the very end. And I beat death. Preach that to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Have a gospel that you preach to yourself. Um, learn to preach it and rejoice over it. I, um, one of my favorite preachers from a generation ago, actually one of my best friends who was the best man at my wedding, it's actually his grandfather who was a very renowned preacher in his day, a guy named Ray Stedman. Anybody here read Ray Stedman? Stud, right? Um, Ray Stedman. Um, Ray Stedman, one of my favorite Bible commentaries, tells this story um, about an older Navajo Indian man who had made it, who was very wealthy because um, he had discovered oil on his land. And so he had made all this money. and um, But periodically, this... Navajo Indian man would come into the bank and he had this routine he would do just ever so, every so often. He would come to the banker and he would say this, grass is all gone, sheep are sick, water holes are dry. And the banker knew what he was supposed to do because this was something that these two did. And so the banker would say, come with me. And he would take this Navajo man back to the bank vault and open it up and take him to where all his money was being stored at the bank and show him the sacks of gold and silver coins, and, and he would tell the Navajo Indian man, all this is yours. And then he would leave the man in there, and the, the Navajo Indian man would go through this routine where he would count his money and stack it up, and he would look at it and handle it and look at it, and then after a little while, he would come out, and this is what he would say. Grass is green, sheep are healthy, water holes are full. Because it just, 
at some point in our life, we forget the riches that we have in Christ. And, and somebody told me this, and I think this is really true. You typically don't come to church to learn anything. You, be, you come to church to be reminded of what you already know. Like most of you, everything I've said up to this point, you're like, I already knew that. I mean, I didn't know about you and your wife and your kids, but I, I knew about like the general theology. Like I knew that. The point is I'm not trying to tell you something you don't know. Often I'm just trying to say, hey, listen, I know you walk around sometimes and like grass is dead, water holes are dry, the cattle are all gone. And I'm saying, no, come back here to the bank vault. Let's look at John 6. Look, this is all yours. He chose you. You're secure in him. You get to beat death because of Jesus. Now sit in that and count it and then come out and you're like, oh man, like the grass is green. The animals are living. The water holes are full again. Because most of what we need to do as followers of Jesus is remind ourselves of what we already know. And so we just need to learn how to preach the gospel to ourselves, saying it over and over and over. I'm chosen by God, I'm secure in him, and in him I beat death. I'm chosen by God, I'm secure in him, and in, by him I beat death. I'm chosen by God, I'm secure in him, and by him I beat death. Brian, don't say it again. I'm chosen by God, I'm secure in him, and by him I beat death. I'm chosen by God, I'm secure in him, and by him I beat death. Don't repeat yourself again, Brian. Listen, if, if you walk out of church this morning and I catch you and I say, so what are you gonna preach to yourself and you don't know it, I'm gonna say it again. I'm chosen by God, I'm secure in him, and by Jesus I beat death. That you gotta come up with your line so that when you feel like life doesn't make any sense, you can go, let me just talk to myself about what I know. And one of the best pieces of advice that was ever given to me when life would get complex, when I was worried about my kids or my money or my wife or this church or my future or all the things that can happen in life, the, 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 the tangled mess that life can get into, I had to go back and just remind myself of what I knew. So you don't know a lot. You don't know what's gonna happen here. You can't predict what's gonna happen here. You don't know how you're gonna get out of this jam. But what do you know? And you have to have some things that you know. I know that God loves me and he knows I'm going through a hard time. I know that things won't always be this way. I know God is in the process of renewing all things, including me. I know that even in the midst of trials, Father always has one hand on the thermostat and one hand on the thermometer, or one hand on the timer. That even in the hardest times, God is not gonna let it get one degree hotter one minute longer than it's supposed to be. That's what I know. I know that the things that I'm going through, even if they're hard, they're working for my good ultimately. So let me ask you who are going through a hard time right now. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. But you may find yourself in a time where you're just tied up in knots about a lot of things in life and there's a lot of things you don't have answers for. Can I just ask you this? What do you know? I'm chosen by Jesus. I'm secure in him. And by him I beat death. I know you know more than that. But sometimes to clear away the rubble, from all of the confusion, we just simply need to ask ourselves, well, what do you know? And rest in that's enough. Reread the words of Jesus and find comfort in what you do know. Because Jesus said, I shall lose none of those, verse 39, you have given me, Father, but I will raise them up 
at the last day. Listen to me. Even if the worst happens, what is the worst thing that could happen to you? You die. And that's the best thing that could happen to you all at the same time. Paul said, I am caught between two positions. To leave, what do you mean? He meant die. To leave, to depart and be with Christ is far better. But to remain here with you is more needful now. The reason you're still here is because we need you. God is using you. You have a purpose. When that is over, God will ring a bell and you will be gone. So the truth of the matter is there are no things that can happen to you that ultimately aren't going to work for your good because even the worst thing that could happen to you, which we would say is death, is the best thing. And therefore, because God said, I will raise you up. So there isn't a mess, there isn't a tragedy, there isn't a sorrow that can, go, that can happen in your life that God says, I can raise that up. I will raise, I'm going to raise that up. So we're untouchable. We're invincible. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me shall never die, but he shall live. Therefore, we preach the gospel to ourselves in the middle of the things that trouble us and say, even if the worst happens, Jesus will raise me up. So there really isn't bad news for followers of Jesus. If we believe that we're chosen in God, we're secure in him, and by him we beat death. And we say that to ourselves repeatedly. I want to finish by telling you this story from the Old Testament that has really grabbed my attention many, many times in my life. But as I was going through this particular piece of scripture and just believing that God said, just preach the gospel to the people this morning, remind everybody at Emmaus that, that the truths of the gospel are very simple and they bring great security and make sure they can preach it to themselves. So in 1 Samuel chapter 30, um, David is still on the run from this king who's been after him, Saul, for years and years and years. Maybe over 15 years, David's been on the run. Now, David was anointed by Samuel the prophet to be the next king in Israel. But Saul was jealous because the throne was being removed from him, and he knew that the anointed young man, David, was having songs sang about him. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. He knows that his prophet Samuel has said, the kingdom's gonna be torn away from you, Saul. And he goes and finds a little shepherd boy in the field and pours oil over his head and says, this is the next king. And so because of jealousy and David's anointing and favor from God, he's actually on the run. And he's been running from cave to cave and city to city because it, the, the current king wants him dead. He's got, hit, he's got a hit out on little David's head. But David is continuing to dodge the death threat and, and just barely narrowly miss being killed by Saul. And at, at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 30, he has 600 fighting men with him. And he's actually acquiesced to go help the Philistines and they even reject him. His, boy, his, his, his 600 fighting men are living in this little town called Ziklag. And while they are away, the men have all left. They've left the women and children back at Ziklag. The Amalekites invaded the south in Ziklag. 
And when they come into Ziklag, as they would do a conquest type of people, the Amalekites especially, dirty, rotten scoundrels they were. If you read anything about the Amalekites, you realize those, those guys were just dirty. They played dirty. No, no rules at war. They, 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 they killed the old people and the weak and the crippled. They don't, they're just ruthless. So the Amalekites come in to Ziklag and they burn the whole town down. And they take all the women and children. David comes home with his 600 fighting men. He just tried to help the Philistines. They're like, we don't trust you. Get out of here. So David's rejected by Saul the king. He's on the run. And now he comes back home. And I'm sure as he's cresting the hill with his men, he sees the smoke from Ziklag rising. And so they double time it over to the city of Ziklag to come and find the whole place has been burnt down. It's like a scene from Gladiator. When he, you know, when he comes back and his wife is dead and his son has been killed and his whole house is burnt down. It's that kind of scene. And his men, thinking the Amalekites have slaughtered their wives and their children, they begin to wail. I mean, I don't know if you can even imagine this kind of thing. We don't live in a warfare kind of society, but this is devastating stuff. And David's whole life is on the rocks. Like, what does he have to cling to? His wife's not there. His children are gone. His house is burnt to the ground. Saul's trying to kill him. He's been moved away from his people. I mean, everything's going wrong. And to top it off, the men are in such grief that he hears a conspiracy. We're gonna stone David to death. It's his fault. He's our leader. He led us into this. The, the Ziklag is burnt down. Our women and children are gone. We don't like him. We're gonna kill him. I mean, what do you do when life gets that gnarly, twisted, messed up? You know what the Bible says about David? One of my favorite verses, 1 Samuel chapter 30, says David encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't have any friends saying, bro, come here, like God loves you. I know what your name is. I know who you are. He was all by himself. But he knew how to preach the gospel to himself. I wish I knew what David said to himself. David, what did you say when it was all so bad? He, he, he's, he just said, the Bible just says he encouraged himself in the Lord as God. And then he went and sought Abiathar the priest. And he said, so everything looks bad. My men are all faithless. But let me ask the Lord, as he inquires of the Lord, should we go and pursue the Amalekites? Will we be victorious if we pursue them? And the Lord says, yes, and you will recover everything. And so David somehow remobilized his heartbroken men and says, we're going after what the enemy has taken away. You know, I mean, let me just feel like I have to say this right now. Some of you have resigned yourself to keep losing. You need a David in your life. You need a guy or a woman, a man or a woman that will come to you and say, quit being okay with the Amalekites taking everything. We're going to go recover everything the devil stole away. And it's at that point that David goes and pursues. And guess what? The Bible says, one of the best verses, and David recovered all that the enemy had stolen. And he looted the enemy. He got a tip. Like, he got it all back plus everything them dirty, rotten Amalekites had taken. And, and you know what? I just believe that when we're in places where we go, God, I just don't know how this is gonna work, that when we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves, you're at the beginning of winning back everything that's been taken away from you. 
But but what would have happened if David had not preached the gospel to himself, if he had not had what it inside of him, a message of good news to say, everything looks so bad, but I can go into this deep place into my soul and my spirit where God lives and say, I'm just going to encourage myself in the Lord. And then I'm going to go inquire of him and the Lord's going to give me wisdom and I'm going to take back what has been stolen. I'm going to get some more on top of that. I don't, let's not resign ourselves to losing. We're not losers. We're winners. This isn't a Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within You motivational speech. This is Jesus chose you, you're secure in him, and you beat death because of him. Jesus wasn't a loser. You belong to Jesus. You don't lose, you win. You read the back of the book? The man on the white horse comes back, takes us to a big old fat feast. We eat aged meat and drink good wine with all the people living and dead, resurrected in new bodies forever and ever and ever and ever. That's good news. So we're not losers. Stop acting like you're a loser. Preach the gospel to yourself. Have a message for you, even if you never preach it to anyone else. What do you know? And when it all comes undone, encourage yourself in the Lord. Now, now thankfully, I don't think any of us are going to get so mad at you that we're ready to stone you and turn our backs on you. I hope you all never do that to me. You're our leader. You got us into this. We're going to kill you, right? But even then, I would go back to my John 6 message and say, what do I know? Everyone in Emmaus wants me dead. I was chosen by God. I'm secure in him. And even if they kill me, I'll rise from the dead, right? <laughs> and, and whatever your little sphere is that gets rattled, it's coming back to being able to know. I know some things that when everything gets really tough, I can go back to this and say, this will sustain me. It doesn't just sustain David, though. It takes him to victory. It's not, it's not just keeping our heads above water. Enough of this trying to keep your head above water all the time. I'm just trying to survive. You, do you think that that's why Jesus died, rose again, filled with the Holy Spirit so that you could survive? You're meant to thrive. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Preaching the gospel to yourself is the beginning of getting out of devastation and confusion and those things which feel lost. So David goes and lives in victory when it looked like defeat, when everything had been burnt down, when it looked like his whole life was in ruin and rubble. He said, but God, there's nothing that says you can't rebuild all things and reclaim all things and then add some on top. And I'll finish with this. The reason that I'm so passionate about us being able to preach the gospel to ourselves is I believe it's a key to spiritual warfare. Jesus said this in Luke, I believe. He said, if you want to go into a strong man's house and spoil all of his goods, you must first bind the strong man, tie him up, and then you can come and take what he has stolen, what what is in his fortress, in his castle. The strong man that Jesus was talking about was the devil himself. The strong man who is a murderer, a thief, and a liar. Don't think the devil is taking it easy on you. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. John chapter 6. So therefore, before we spoil what the strong man has taken from you, we must first bind him. 
Binding the strong man, as David did, as Jesus taught us, is being able to preach the gospel to yourself. We bind the devil when we say he's lying and I'm going to speak the truth of God. I have, a, I have a gospel message that I preach to myself to bind the strong man and then come in and take back what he has stolen. One of the greatest things that we can do for spiritual warfare's sake, for our own sake and our attacks from the evil one is to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. And then we can go and take back what has been stolen. For some of you, there has been far too much loss and I, I understand it because I've been in places where loss has overwhelmed me. And, and one loss after another, wave after wave of loss, you just get tired. And then you just want to give up. And, and yet, I believe there's still a fight inside of you. And if you will preach the gospel to yourself and tell yourself what you know, I believe you can get some things back. I believe there's recovery in here. I believe God wants many of you to recover the things that were stolen from you. Some of you have had things stolen from you. Some of you have lost joy. You've lost hope. You've lost relationships. You've lost courage. Those, those are things that you're supposed to have as a kingdom follower, as a Jesus follower, as one who belongs to Jesus. And if they're not, if, you don't, if they don't belong to you, they are a fruit of the Spirit. God put out a bowl of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and said, this is yours. And if it gets stolen from you, you gotta go get it back. And we're here to get it back with you. But it's gonna start with you saying, all right, I, I've, I've had some things stolen. The Amalekites came in, and I don't have what I'm supposed to have, but I'm not okay with that anymore. Stop being okay with the things that aren't Okay. Because then when you're okay with things that aren't okay, you go mediocre and you just resign yourself to survive. No more surviving Emmaus, thriving Emmaus. Admit that you're not thriving and then go on the journey to take back what the devil has stolen. Amen, come on. Go take back what has been taken from you. In the name of Jesus, inquire of the Lord and say, Lord, things have been taken from me and I know what they are and I want them back. And let the Lord take you into victory as you encourage yourself in the Lord. As you say, I know he chose me. The Father gave me to Jesus. And I know he's not going to lose me. And I know that at the end of the day, he will raise me up again. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.